0: Good morning. Good morning, I still, whenever, I, whenever um, I used to sing in ministry, I always held one of those mics, so uh, you would think after so many years of preaching that I would have done, been used to this by now, but still I get up here and I forget that I, I've got to put a lapel on, so uh, forgive me for taking the time to do that, and uh, maybe we'll get this situated in just a minute. While I'm getting situated, if you want to grab your Bible and turn to the book of Titus, chapter 3. That's where we're going to be this morning. And Mark, could you kill the computer sound? Could you mute the computer? Thank you. (laughs) All right, Titus, chapter 3. I know we stand a lot, but I ask you to stand one more time. If you have the means and you're able, uh, this is just in giving reverence to reading the living and powerful Word of God. Titus chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 3 and we're going to go through verse 8. If you're there, say amen. That was pitiful. What's going on with these people this morning? If you're there, say amen. amen. If you ain't there, say hold on. Alright, we're going to go anyway. (laughs) Titus chapter 3, let's begin with verse 3. This is what it says. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. What's that first word of that next verse though? But. But. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for the people. You can be seated. And as you're seated, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you this morning recognizing that this is your word Lord coming from us it's just words but Lord if you inspire it if you send it forth if you cause it to accomplish your purpose then Lord it is living and it is powerful so God my prayer this morning is simple I'm just asking you to do your part to do what you do Lord you inspire this word you cause it to accomplish your purpose you cause it to not return back to you void Father, whether we see a single result out of it or not, this is your word and you have said it will not come back to you void. It will, it will cause, it will accomplish the purpose you sent it out for. So God, we're trusting in that promise this morning. Father, this morning I pray that you would just help us to rightly divide it so that um, most importantly, God, we can be obedient to you, we can uh, be pleasing to you. Uh, Lord, we can live out the life that you have created us to be. And Lord, I just know that the only way that's possible is if we're guided by this word. So Father, you do that for us this morning. We trust in you for everything. And I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we learned um, that we are a totally depraved people. That we have a, a nature that is sinful to its core. It's not that everyone is as bad as they could be. And it's not that that people are not good according to our standard of goodness. But the fact is that we all have a sinful nature that will always lean us toward the tendency of sin. And for some, it will take them to the extremes. And for others, they will walk through this life and do some good things according to our standard of goodness. But the truth of the matter is, the Bible tells us that there is none good, no, not one. That without faith it is impossible to please God. Whatever is not from faith is sin. Even our good deeds are like filthy rags in His sight. Because the truth of the matter is, even the good that we think we do, when it is done... Through our nature and from us and not by faith in God, it always is like filthy rags and it is always depraved at its best. In Romans chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 18, and we'll just walk through some of these verses. We're not going to go through every one of them. Um, We saw that the, the wrath of God is on this world because of all of the ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men. So what does it mean when something is revealed? It means that it's made seen. You can literally, the Bible tells us that you can look into this world and you can look at this world and you can see the wrath of God being revealed. It is revealed. It is not in its fullness, but you can see glimpses of it. And we're going to get a little deeper in that in just a minute. But the reason is because we were given hearts that were meant to worship and serve and love God. We were given hearts and minds that were meant to be honoring to God and that were meant to be pleasing unto God. And instead, our hearts had impure lusts. According to verse um, 21, it said that the lusts of our hearts were impure. It says, although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God. And then their foolish hearts were darkened. Go on to verse 22 for me, if you would. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Keep going with me. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. We talked about this last week. We made a dark trade. We made a dark exchange. We decided that instead of worshiping and serving the Creator, instead we liked the created things better than the original. And so we said, we're going to make this trade. We would rather have the images than the original. I gave you the example last week of just how stupid this is but this is our nature but imagine you who are parents if you had your little child and you love to take them and get their pictures made and uh, you get their pictures back and they're the most beautiful things you've ever seen and you want to give them out to everybody but imagine that that was you and you came back and you decided, you know what, I like the picture better than I do the kid. Now don't laugh because for some of y'all, y'all thinking sometimes it feels that way. <laughs> All right, But just think about in reality for a minute that you actually did that. You actually said, I don't want the kid, but instead I would just rather have the image. You can have the original Ain't that the dumbest thing you've ever heard? And yet we took all the things that were created to be reflections of the glory of God because everything that is created displays the glory of God. In Isaiah chapter 6, when the angels surrounded His throne, the, the angels cried to one another and they said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is what? Full of His glory. In other words, when the angels looked at creation, what did they see? They saw the glory of God. They saw the majesty of God. They saw the power of God. The Bible says in Psalms chapter 19 that the heavens declare the glory of God. And so no matter what you see in creation, it was created to be a reflection of the power and the majesty and the goodness of the great Creator And we exchanged the glory of the immortal. So we exchanged glory for images. And we exchanged immortal God for mortal man and mortal created things. And we continue to do that today. But then go on to verse 24. And you'll say, therefore, God did what? He said, okay. And those of you that are parents, I want you to think about this. You ever reach a point in your kid's life, especially probably as teenagers or even older, where you reach a point to where you finally just have to say, okay, you're going to have your way. And you're going to see what this path looks like when this is what you choose. So it wasn't God giving up on us. It was literally God saying, We've come to only one last result for them to be able to see this. They got to walk the path. They got to see where it goes. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts. Notice that our hearts have lust. They are, it was supposed to be hearts that honored God. But instead, we have hearts of lust, and God has given us over to them. We have hearts of impurity, and then we have dishonorable passions. If you were to go over to verse um, 26, it says, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Our passions were supposed to be honorable and we're supposed to worship and serve God. But instead we looked at it and we said, we would rather have these passions. This is what our heart wants. So God says, okay, your hearts are supposed to be mine, but I'm going to let you have this and I'm going to show you where it goes. Your passions are supposed to be toward me, but I'm going to let you have this and follow this and let you see where it goes. And then he goes on to verse 28. In Romans chapter 1 verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God. In other words, when you acknowledge something, that means you, you do what? You recognize that it's there. You actually, you actually look to it. You, you, you can see it. We didn't even want to see Him. Our hearts don't don't want anything to do with God, so we don't even want to acknowledge Him. So, God has given our hearts over to impurity, He's given our passions over to be dishonorable. And now, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a what? So, now your heart is corrupt, and now your passions are corrupt, and now your mind is corrupt. And just in case you were to think for a single minute that this does not include you, go with me to Romans chapter 3 verses 10 through 12. He says, no one, none is righteous, no, not one. Go to verse 11. No one understands, no one seeks for God. Is anybody left out here yet? Go to verse, um, and all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. This depravity includes all of humanity. We all suffer from this. It is a sin nature that we all have. No one does good because our hearts do not want God. That's the root of it. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 actually tells us that we are spiritually dead. He says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. In other words, you were literally spiritually dead because of your impure heart, because of your dishonorable passions, because of your debased mind. You were dead in trespasses and sins. Move on to verse 2 in which you once walked, he's talking to Christians at this point, in which you once walked following the course of this world, everybody's included, following the prince of the power of the air, talking about the devil or Satan or the root behind all of this, and then the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. In other words, in all of the sons of disobedience, this spirit is still at work in them right now today. But move on to verse 3. Among whom we all once lived, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by what? Were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. This is not a singular problem. This is a human problem. This is human nature. And so it tells us that we are under the wrath of God. Notice what it says, "We are by nature children of wrath." Remember Romans 1:18 before he told us the reason the wrath was being revealed, he told us wrath is being revealed. You can look around and you can see the wrath of God all around you if you're just willing to open your eyes and see it. In Romans chapter 5 verse 15 to 16 the Bible actually calls death a judgment. It actually talks about that in Adam we all died. It says, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God. Keep on going. And the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ abounded for many. But check out verse 16. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man sin and let's look what it calls the result for the judgment so the result of the one man sin was judgment anybody remember what the result of the one man sin was death it says that death if you look around the world and you see death and you see it's universal it's both humans it's uh, it's babies it's it's old people it, no matter No matter who you look at, dogs, cats, cows, trees, no matter what you look at in creation, death is universal and it is a judgment that has been brought down because of our disobedience, because of our impure hearts and dishonorable passions and debased minds and God gives us over to that. But this judgment here, it says here that it's a judgment and it's a condemnation. It's a judgment that brought condemnation. In other words, it proved that God was doing this as a result of condemning the world as being guilty of sin. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. What does it mean to be justified? It means the condemnation is removed, correct? If you are are, are brought up on a charge and you stand before the judge and then the evidence is presented and he declares you not guilty... Can they ever hold you accountable for that again? You have been justified in whatever it was that you have been brought up for. And so here's what he's saying. The gift of Jesus Christ, the fact the Bible says the wages of sin is, but the gift of God is eternal life. The free gift is the fact that Jesus died and paid the wage of sin. And the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For all those who place their faith in Jesus Christ, there is justification. We're getting to the heart of the message here and again, here in just a minute. One way you can see the wrath of God, and this is important, is by understanding that that anybody in here that has experienced death in any way, that is the judgment of God and that is the wrath of God being revealed. But how many of you know that the Bible teaches that that's just the first death? There's actually a second death or an eternal life. And you will have to decide between the two right here and now as to whether you accept Christ as your Savior or not and receive the free gift. But here's the thing that you need to understand. If death is the judgment and it's universal and the the free gift is Jesus Christ that brings justification, it's kind of a no-brainer here. But it's it's not the... The final wrath of God. It is the revealing of it. The pain that you've experienced from death in this lifetime. I want you to understand something. The only thing that is is a glimpse of what the final wrath of God will actually look like. The, the suffering that you've seen in death. The suffering that you've seen in disease and sickness that leads unto death. It is only a glimpse of what the final wrath of God will look like. That's the reason why the Bible says this is just the first death. But those who do not receive the free gift will actually experience the second death, which is an eternal death, a death that you are always dying but never die. You experience this pain and suffering to a degree that you can't even imagine, but it never ends. That is the revealing of the wrath of God. God wants you to be able to see that. Another thing, Romans 8, and I didn't give this, uh, some of these scriptures I didn't give to them. Romans 8 actually tells us that the creation was subjected to futility. You might remember from Genesis that God told Adam, Cursed is the ground for what? For thy sake. In other words, the creation is cursed because it is for your own good. God wants you to be able to look at the cursed creation and for you to be able to experience. Think about, just think about this for a minute. You've heard me say this before. It happened to my own father. But you've heard me say this before. You work your whole life and you get ready for retirement and then you get ready to enjoy it and you have a stroke and you die. The creation is subjected to futility. It's useless. The farmer, he plants his crop in the spring and right before the bud comes up, a flood comes and what does it do? You build the house of your dreams and a week before you move in, a tornado comes through and wipes it out. You buy a house on the beach and you can't get insurance for it. And then uh, while you're trying to figure that out, the hurricane season rolls in and destroys it. I'm just using all kind of crazy examples, but the point of the matter is this. Creation has been subjected to futility. You work and you plan well, and it all eventually comes to what? Nothing. What did it matter? What does the scripture say? What does it profit a man if he gain the whole world, but lose his own soul? In other words, it's all futile. Every bit of it. So the cursed creation is another way that you can look around and you can see the judgment of God on this earth. And then the last way is the fact, the last way you can see the the wrath of God is the fact that your hearts have been given over to, to impurity, your passions have been given over to dishonorable passions, your minds have been given over to be debased, and as a result of that... How many of you have suffered because of your own dishonorable passions or because of someone else's dishonorable passions? How many of you have seen the suffering that is brought on in this world as a result of people that follow their own debased minds instead of following God and retaining God in their knowledge? And so all of these things are God's way of revealing His wrath to you so that you can look at it And then you can see a glimpse of what the final wrath of God looks like. The Bible literally tells us in the book of Romans chapter 8 that God did all this in hope. You mean He causes all this and He allows all this suffering and He allows us to have our own way in hope? How is that in hope? The book of Acts chapter 17 actually tells us that He did this in hope that we might grope for Him and find Him. What does it mean to grope for something? Search blindly. It's like finding your way through a dark room. You don't know what's there, but you're just trying to feel your way through. And here's what God is saying. I did all this so that in the middle of that suffering, I hope that you will look to me and go, I don't understand it. I can't figure it out. I can't handle the hurt. I don't know what to do about it, but I I, I don't know where else to go. And God says, that's the point of it all. That's the point of it all. So that you will grope for me in the hope that you might grope for me and find me. And again, in Acts chapter 17, I didn't give them this verse either. Though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. In other words, he's right there. We just got to start reaching for Him. We got to start searching for Him. But again, this is part of the problem. We are totally depraved in our hearts, impure hearts. Remember that. Impure hearts, dishonorable passions, depraved minds. And no one seeks God. No one wants Him. We we don't want to acknowledge Him. No one does good. Correct? And with all of that, then what hope is there for mankind? Well, that brings us to this morning's message, the doctrine of regeneration. Titus chapter 3, verse 3 again. The only hope that we have, this is our only hope. Remember, we don't want God. Naturally, you are not going to turn to God. Um, I gave you these verses. In Romans chapter 8, verse 7, the Bible actually tells us that the fleshly mind cannot submit to God. Look, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, what? It can't. So, what hope is there? If if the mind that is set on the flesh, and that's where all of us are before Christ, if it cannot turn to God, then what hope is there? This is again where I got to last week that unless the Holy Spirit does this work in you, guess what? It's not getting done. Because you don't want it. You don't want it. And so the mind that is set on the flesh cannot submit to God. So again, what hope is there? 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. And go on to verse 15. I may have gave you the wrong verse. Actually, find me 1 Corinthians chapter. I gave you the wrong one. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Yeah, that's the one I'm looking for. Here's what it says. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Did y'all catch that? The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not what? He's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. There again, the natural man is not able to discern the things of God. So what hope does man have? He only has one hope, and that is regeneration. So what is it? If that's our only hope, we've got to figure out what this is. So go with me to Titus chapter 3, verse 3 again. In Titus chapter 3, verse 3, we see Paul leading into this same Doctrine of depravity. And he says in verse 3, For we ourselves were once foolish, we were disobedient, we were led astray, and we were slaves. Remember, you can't, you didn't have a choice. The fact of the matter was, this was your heart, and this was the path that you were going to go. And so, what hope is there? Slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another... But I love verse four and the first word of it. But when the goodness of loving, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. In other words, here's what happened. We recognized our total depravity. We recognized our slavery to sin. We recognized our impure hearts. We recognized our dishonorable passions. We recognized our depraved minds. But then something happened. The goodness of God, because it's nothing of us, listen, He saves us, not by the works that we do, but by His loving kindness, by His goodness. Because remember, we don't have the power. There's none good. No, not one. The only thing we can do is recognize our depravity, hear the gospel. Notice what it said in verse um, uh, 4 again. But when the goodness and kindness of our God, our Savior, appeared. In other words, what is the goodness and the kindness of God, our Savior? It is Jesus Christ. So when the gospel of Jesus Christ appeared, somewhere along the line, the Holy Spirit had to draw you in because remember, no one comes to the Father unless what? Or no one comes to the Son unless the Spirit draws him. No one comes to the Son unless the Father draws him is what some verses say. The fact of the matter is that the truth is you cannot come to Christ unless God draws you. And He draws you by showing the gospel to you, by showing you your sin condition. And when you see that, the only response that you have is faith. Now I've used this example before, so some of you will remember it, but I want you to think about this for just a minute. You've got a lame man. He's been lame his whole life. Many people have come by and tried to help him. People probably carry him to his spot to. The, uh, they said that they brought the beggar to the place to be able to laid him at the gate to be able to beg. So there was probably all kind of of help that he'd received all his life. But then a man named Jesus comes along, and he looks at this lame man, and he knows that this lame man has no power to get up and walk, right? right? If he could do it on his own, what would he have done by now? But he can't do it. So Jesus looks at this man, and you know what he says to him? Get up and walk. Now hang on a minute. This man can't walk. He don't have the power to walk. So how can Jesus not be wrong when he looks at him and says get up and walk? Because Jesus knows one thing. I also have the power to make him walk. I know he can't do it. I know he don't have the ability. But if he will just believe in me and he'll trust me, all he has to do is respond in faith. Faith is the full assurance of hope, the evidence of things not seen. So what is it that faith follows? The hope. What is the hope that this lame man has from the command of Jesus? That he can walk. So the lame man has two choices. And either one of them can be right. He can look at Jesus and he can say, I can't. And ain't that true? He has that choice. Or he can respond by faith. He can have full assurance of hope based on the evidence of things unseen. And so here's how the lame man responds. He says, you know what? I can't walk. I don't have the power. But... I believe that the man who's commanding me to do so has the power to make me walk. So my response is to follow the direction of that hope. And he just has to do what? Get up and walk. Not in his power, not in his strength, not by his works, not by anything he can do, but just based on the fact that he believes that the man who told him to get up and walk also has the power to make him get up and walk. And it has to be that way because according to Scripture, any other way that man can boast in his own strength. That's right. The way that God and Christ receives all the glory for it is when the only response we have is faith. We hear the gospel that says you are a depraved sinner under the wrath and the condemnation of God you have impure hearts you have dishonorable passions and you have a depraved mind and you are hopeless and we know that and we have two choices when we hear the gospel the gospel says I'll save you I'll save you if you trust me and you can look back at Jesus and go I can't be saved or you can look back at him and go you know what If this is what he said, he must also have the power to bring it to pass in me. So I'm going to get up and I'm going to walk. This is where the combination of faith and works comes together. We are not saved by works of righteousness that we are done. We're saved by faith and faith alone. But here's the thing you understand. In faith, faith always follows the direction of its hope. Think about Noah for a minute. The Bible says that God divinely warned Noah. In other words, Noah received a word from God. The wrath of God is coming. I'm going to flood the earth. We're sinners. What hope do we have? But I'll save you. And the Bible says that Noah believed God and he moved with godly fear and he prepared an ark. Was Noah saved because he built a boat? Noah was saved because he believed God. He built the boat because he believed God. He had no power to build the kind of boat that God was telling him to build. He had no ability to be able to do this. Noah was not a master boat builder at this time. Noah wasn't a sailor from way back. Noah didn't have all this knowledge, but he believed God. And because he believed God, it followed the direct, his faith followed the direction of his hope. It's just like the lame man. Because he believed Christ, his faith followed the direction of his hope, and he got up and walked, not in his power, not in his strength, but by faith in the power and the strength of God. So the first step is to understand that God saved us out of our depravity by the gospel that appeared to us, by drawing us to him, not in our power. There was a time in your life... Listen, here, here's, the way that, um, here's the way that Jesus said it in John chapter 3... Y'all know this story very well. It's the story of Nicodemus. But in John chapter 3, verse 6 through 8, he's trying to explain to Nicodemus the same concept of regeneration. Now regeneration is a word that comes from two Greek words that means the first part of the Greek word means again and the second part of the Greek word means birth or creation. So to create again or to birth again or the way Jesus put it in John chapter 3 is you must be... Born again. So here's the doctrine of regeneration. New birth. When God regenerates you, it means that He recreates. It means He he reverses the curse. He takes back the impure heart and He gives you a heart that is for Him. He takes away the debased mind and He begins to renew the mind. And we're going to look at that here in just a minute again too. He starts changing the passions that you have. Because remember, again, the faith always follows the direction of its hope. And so if you're walking in faith, your passions change. If you're walking in faith, your impurities change. If you're walking in faith, your, your, your mind changes because it's following the direction of its hope. And all the glory goes to God because it's not something you can do. In John chapter 3 verse 6 he tells Nicodemus that which is born of the flesh is flesh. In other words there is no hope for you even if you are a child of Abraham. Even if you are as Jesus titles him here in a minute the teacher of all Israel. In other words the main man. Here in a minute Jesus looks at Nicodemus he goes how is it that you are the teacher of Israel and you don't know these things. He says that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit." Go to verse 7. He says, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again or you must be regenerated. But then he goes to explain how this process works. Remember, I'm talking about the doctrine of regeneration, how this works. You are depraved and the only hope that you have of coming to God is if he draws you and the gospel appears through the goodness and the kindness of God. That's your only hope. And so he does this through his spirit. So he gives an analogy. He says, the wind blows where it wishes. And you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit or regenerated or born from above. He compares it to the wind. Let me ask you a question. Who in here has the power to summon the wind? As I asked you last week, how many of you had any control over your first birth? How much, how much did you have to do of your power? How much did your power have anything to do with your first birth? You were just born. And here's what you need to understand about being born again. It's not according to your will. It's not according to your power. It's according to the Spirit of God that just like the wind, it comes down. We don't know where it comes from. It's a mystery. We don't really know how this happens, but here's what we know. Somewhere along your life, you are drawn to God. Somewhere in your life, you, your eyes are opened to your depravity. Somewhere along your life, you are, you, the gospel appears to you, and then you have two choices. You either look at it and go, I can't. Or you look at it and go, he can. And you get up and you walk. And this has to be the way that your salvation works. It has to be. And I'm going to get to why this is important just like I did last week. I'm going to get to why this is important at the end. But it has to be by faith and by faith alone. It, it, it cannot be any other way. So here's the thing you need to understand. Regeneration begins with the leading and the drawing of the Spirit because you can't do it. It begins with the Spirit being causing you to be born again. So regeneration begins with the leading and drawing of the Spirit. So if you see and you feel the need for a new birth in your life, or if you've seen your sin against God and the gospel has appeared to you, then guess what? The Spirit is blowing. If this morning, by the time we get done with this, your eyes have been opened to go, I get it, I need salvation, then guess what? It ain't because you did it. It ain't because you figured it out. It ain't because I was able to do this. Yes, I'm the preacher that the Spirit used to be able to present the gospel. And how will they believe if someone don't preach? But you better believe it ain't got nothing to do with me. I can't save you. You can't save you. But when the Spirit draws you and opens your eyes to your sinfulness and whenever He opens your eyes to the gospel... And you respond in faith, He saves you. And you are literally born again. Go back with me to Titus chapter 3 again. So the Spirit draws us in. He opens our eyes to our sin. He opens our eyes to the gospel. We believe it by faith. That's the process of this. And you'll know whether you believe it by faith or not because you'll either get up and walk or you'll keep sitting there, right? If you want to know if you are a saved Christian, if you want to know that, all you got to do is ask yourself the question, am I following the direction of my faith? Not, not again, I'm not saying you're saved by your works, but you better believe one thing, Noah believed God and built a boat because of his faith. And you too are going to believe God and follow this direction because of your faith or it ain't genuine faith. That's the truth of it. So you'll know whether you're walking in faith or not by the fact of whether you get up and walk or not. So Titus chapter 3 verse 5, it says, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. You know why it's mercy? Because we don't deserve it. We deserve to be given over to all of these things. We deserve the wrath of God. But according to His mercy, according to His goodness, according to His kindness, He saved us by The washing of regeneration. Remember, not by works, but by giving us a new heart, by giving us a a new mind. The washing of regeneration, this is literally a cleansing of the mind, a cleansing of the heart in the new creation. Remember, in Romans chapter 1 again, we have impure hearts, dishonorable passions, and debased minds And our only hope is that this has to be reversed. So look with me at Ezekiel chapter 36, verse verse 25 through 27. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from your idols I will cleanse you. Go to verse 26. And I will give you a what? A A new heart. And... A new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh or a spirit heart really would be a more accurate translation of that. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk and what does that say? And cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my rules. So here is the promise of God from Ezekiel saying the new covenant is coming to where regeneration is the way that I'm going to save you. You must be born again. And it can only happen by the power of the Spirit drawing you. It can only happen by the power of the Spirit presenting the gospel to you. It can only happen by the power of the Spirit opening your eyes to your depravity. But when you see those things and you respond in faith, Here's what I'll do. I'll make you new. Now again, we look at this and go, man, he's got a lot of work to do if he's going to make me new, right? Right. we like this lame man. We look at him and go, not me, I can't. Let me tell you something. Is this impossible for us? Absolutely. Is this impossible for God? Not by a long shot. If only we believe by faith and we get up and we walk in faith. Romans chapter 12 verse 2. I'm fixing to just have to come to a close. Romans chapter 12 verse 2. It says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. In other words, you have to you have to allow God to, to teach you this new mind, to reverse this curse of this de- depraved mind and this impure heart by, that by testing you may discern between good and evil and know what is that good will of God. Go with me uh, to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15 because we've got to look real quick at how the Spirit does this. How does this work? In 2 Corinthians verse chapter 3, verse 15... I'm going to turn there in my Bible. This is what it says. It says, Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image From one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Let me sum this up. Here's how the Spirit renews your mind. Here's how this transformation takes place. God's given you a new creation, a new birth. You have new hearts, you have new minds. But now you've got to fill these things up with the right passions, with the right uh, desires, with the right thoughts. And so here's what he says. When the law was all that they had, a veil lied on their hearts. They couldn't, they couldn't see the fullness of the glory of God and what they were created to be. They, all they could see was that this is the law and we don't measure up. And so it was like looking at God when you looked at the law, but it was like seeing it with a veil on your face. You couldn't see it clearly. So you could look into the law of God or look into Moses and you could see a glimpse of God but not the fullness of it. Just a glimpse. But when one turns to the Lord, when one hears the gospel, and when one turns his face upon Jesus, and he starts studying and learning and gazing upon Jesus, it says then that the veil is taken away. You know why? Because Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 says that He is the image of the invisible God. In other words, when you look at Him... You see God. You see everything you were created to be. You see a true heart. You see a true mind. And so here's what he says. He says that this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. He takes the image of Christ that you're gazing upon and you're learning from. And as you're studying and you're learning about Christ, he then transforms you. Go back to the beginning of that verse 18, I believe it is. Yes, and we all with unveiled face, beginning of verse 18 rather, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed. See that? When you look at Jesus, there's no veil. It's clear, it's solid. You can see exactly what we are supposed to be. We have a new heart and a new mind. We're following it by faith because we believe that God is doing it he said he would. And then as we behold the glory of the Lord, we are being what? Transformed. Remember, this curse has to be reversed. And you are being transformed into the same image. What image? The image of Jesus Christ. You're being transformed into the same image from one degree to Of glory to another. Here's what you need to know. There's a difference in regeneration and sanctification. Regeneration is literally the moment that you come to faith in Christ and He gives you a new heart and a new mind to start this path of faith. But then you go into sanctification. And sanctification is a lifelong process. So as we gaze upon Jesus Christ, He transforms us into the same image from one degree of glory to another. You know what that means? It means that you're not who you are today who you were when you were first saved, are you? I hope not. If you are, then your faith is not genuine and we need to talk. But from one degree of glory to another, we are being transformed into that same image. And look what it says. For this comes from the Lord... Who is what? Spirit. Again, it's not by your strength. It's not by your power. It's not by your works. It's not by anything that you can do. This is a regeneration that takes place and it's all according to the gospel. It's all according to the Spirit of God and it's all according to you only have one response and that you either believe it or you don't. And if you believe it by faith, and listen, even the demons believe and they tremble, I'm talking about believing by faith so that it moves you in the direction of the hope that's created in you when you hear the gospel. This is regeneration. And as always... So let's just get to the last part. Why is this doctrine important? Why does it matter? Is this just a Bible class or a theology class? No. Let me tell you why this doctrine is important. Because there are many that believe that our salvation comes from behavior modification. There are many out there who believe. Nicodemus was one of them. Nicodemus would have told you just like Paul, according to the law, blameless. Follow this thing from my youth. I've done it all. There are some Christians that will literally look at you and think, okay, I need to quit cussing, I need to quit doing this, I need to quit doing that. Listen, you can quit every bit of that and try to be the best person you can be. But if you have not been regenerated, if you've not been born again, if there hasn't been a washing of regeneration and a renewing of the Holy Spirit, then I'm sorry to tell you, you're not going to make it. No matter how good you become. Go ahead, quit cussing. Quit cheating. Quit doing, quit, quit, quit doing anything that you think is bad in your mind. And your good deeds are still like filthy rags in the eyes of God. Your only hope is the washing of regeneration. Your only hope is that the Holy Spirit has come and has convicted you of your sin, has shared the gospel with you, and has gave you the opportunity to respond in faith. And then your only response is get up and walk. So it's important you see how this works because if not, you might be tempted to think, well, what I need to do is quit cussing as much. Go and cuss all you want to. Don't do whatever you want to. It don't matter. If you ain't been born again, it makes no difference whatsoever. Let us eat and drink. For tomorrow, you die. That's the truth of it. Does that make sense? Let's move on to the second reason why this is important. Because there are some who believe in a baptismal regeneration. Now, I'm not going to, 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 to lay down and say that. that, That that's not vital and that's not important. We can end the argument on that by saying this. Jesus commanded you to be baptized. Period. Bottom line. But I want to tell you that there are many, many people who have went through those waters and the only thing they got when they went through there was a bath. They come out the other side. The only difference in them was they were wet. They were dry when they came in. They were wet when they came out. That's it. If you wanted to look for it yourself and you're taking notes, go back and read Acts chapter 8 and look at Simon the sorcerer. Peter actually baptized this guy. Took him through the waters. And then look what happens right afterwards. Just a few verses afterwards, look what happens. And then you tell me that just because you go through these waters that that's how you're saved. Many people can go through this water. Baptismal is not the way that you are regenerated. It is Holy Spirit and Holy Spirit alone. And then that is, the way, that is also the way your first step of obedience, if so it follows that direction of that faith. And it is also the way that you are laid down in Christ. It is the, the display of that faith that you have put on. But you cannot be saved just because you went through just because you went through the water. That is vital for you to understand. And again, not trying to display the importance of it. It's important you understand that that's not how you're going to be saved. I'm going to go with one last thing. The reason this doctrine is important is because any other way you can boast. Look with me at Romans chapter 4. Did I give you that verse? Romans chapter 4. I may have to turn there if I didn't give it to him. Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, I believe. Yeah. It says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham our forefather according to the flesh? In other words, he... He he received the covenant of circumcision through the promise of God. But what did did that actually gain him as far as the flesh was concerned? All right? He says in verse 2 For if Abraham was justified by works, then he has something to boast about, but not before God. In other words, you cannot take credit for anything, it was only by his mercy. It was only by His goodness. It was only by His kindness. It was only by the power. You can't even take credit for for coming to Him because the Spirit is the one who drew you. You can't take any more credit in this than you can take in the fact that you were born the first time from your mother and your father. (laughs) And you had absolutely nothing to do with that your only response in this is that you saw what the Spirit was showing you and you responded in faith and it says that Abraham he wasn't justified by his works now granted his works were the direct result of his faith don't get that twisted alright a lot of people do his works were a direct result of his faith but he wasn't saved by the works because he, he, if he was then he'd have something to be able to look at God and go well this was my part This is what I did. Nope. The only thing that Abraham can do was say, I believed you. I believed you. That's all I did. And then keep going with me. But not before God. And then go to verse 3. Romans chapter 4 verse 3. For what does the scripture say? Abraham what? Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. This is the only way that it can be. Because any other way, God does not receive all the glory for it. So again, we go from the doctrine of total depravity to the doctrine of regeneration. And I want to tell you this morning, if you saw yourself as totally depraved, if you saw the impure heart, the dishonorable passions, and the depraved minds, and you've seen the sinful nature, it's only because... The Spirit has allowed you to see it and opened your eyes to it. And if you've heard the gospel of justification that whoever believes on the name of Jesus Christ shall be saved, it's only because the Holy Spirit has caused the gospel to appear in front of you. And now you have two choices. You can look at this and you can say, I can't. I can't do it. Or you can look at this and you can say, I believe him I believe him with all my heart that no matter where I've been or what I've done it ain't about me it ain't about what I deserve it ain't about how good I can be it's about whether I believe he will do what he said he will do and I believe it with all my heart and when you truly believe it your life will turn in that direction and it will follow that path will you get everything right after that no from one degree of glory to another you don't just go from regeneration to glory You see that? But you will be transformed because of your regeneration in Christ Jesus. If y'all would stand this morning. We're going to have a time of invitation. Maybe you're one of those I was talking to this morning that you've seen your need for salvation, you've heard the gospel, you know the wind of the Spirit is blowing, but you ain't ever responded by faith. If that's you this morning, I just encourage you to come up, take me or Nick by the hand and say, this morning's the morning I want to put my faith in what God said. I ain't trying to clean myself up anymore. I ain't trying to just be better, but instead I'm going to put my faith in Him. And this morning's the morning I want that new heart. I want that new mind. I know I can't do it. I know I have no power. But I know He promised He would do it, and I believe Him with all my heart. And if that's you this morning, I encourage you to make this the morning that you do it. Whatever you need.
1: Father of the mountains, shepherd of the sea.
0: Whatever you need this morning, now author is the time. of
1: the questions that are hidden. Out on the water whispering in the trees Longing to believe Awake my soul Awake my soul Like a river you will flow Like a river you will flow Awake my soul Like a river you will flow
0: Like a river you will flow Who am I talking to this morning? The Spirit's blowing somewhere I know that with all my heart The gospel's been preached All you gotta do is respond When you I get up you the sun. this morning but you got opportunity right now I'm only gonna hold it for a minute longer the Bible says the Spirit of God will not strive with man always and again this is not me trying to save you this ain't me trying to, to, to make you become saved I know that's the only work God's the only one that can do that but if the Spirit is blowing this morning and He's drawing you and you know the truth of this then. Have an opportunity right now. He's striving with you, but he will not strive always. So I'm persuading you with everything that I have. Step out this morning and put your faith in him. Put your faith in him. Believe him. Believe that he will do what he said he would do. If you can do that this morning, we're gonna sing just a minute longer. If no one comes, we'll close the
1: invitation. Breeze. I hear you in the silence and the mystery. So open up my heart, Lord. i longing to believe. Teach me to receive. Like a river
0: our Bibles and we have Sunday school lessons uh, about Jesus and his life and who he is and so that we can bottle our lives after him because that's the sanctification process that all of us are going through but there's some of you this morning that you ain't never went through the first step you've never been born again and if that's you this morning I want to encourage you to be able to step out and say I believe God I believe God. I'm not trying to be better. I don't want to be a good person. I want to follow Him by faith. This morning, I want to be born again. If that's you this morning, I encourage you. Just come out, take me and Nick by the hand and tell me that. I want to be born again. And we'll take care of that this morning. Is there anybody? A people are still praying. Um, predicaments here where my flesh is telling me okay it's long enough and I know that there may still be people praying but just go on and shut it down because people are ready to go but then there's that other side of me that says people's eternity is at stake here (laughs) they may not make it back for another opportunity to hear the gospel I ask you this morning, the altar's empty. Is there one here this morning that would step out and say, I want to put my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ? Would you just step out now? Is there one? Thank you all very much. Thank you for your time and attention. I pray that you don't get bored with us. Um, the, I know the doctrine and the theology part of this is, um, it's um, it, it, it can be a little bit more, you may think to yourself, well this is for people that go to Bible college. It's really not. Th- these are things that even though we use a word like regeneration, uh, the, the fact of the matter is that these are important things for you to understand and important things for you to know. Um, Again, your eternity depends on it. so I pray that you continue to be patient with us this morning and then over the next few weeks as we continue this series on doctrine and we're just going to see where God takes it and uh, just just follow along with it. Miss Doris uh, wants us to pray this morning for um, for Eddie's dad um, uh, she says she didn't really know why she just had a burden on her heart this morning for Eddie's father and I know that um, mr. Dole has had a hard time he's last what few for years but especially these last few months um, Mr. Doyle Smith has had a, had a real real tough time and so Miss um, uh, uh, Doris comes this morning just wanting, to, wanting us to say a special prayer for him and, um, and then we had another one come that wants us to pray for, for someone else and I'm not going to call that person by name but, um, but we're, we're going to have a, a, a closing prayer this morning for, for those two requests specifically this morning so um, thank you again for your time and attention I love you. God loves you. Uh, come back tonight, 5 o'clock for the, su- for the supper and uh, 6 o'clock for the class. And if you've got some neighbors that's got kids, this week is focused on the gospel. And this is a good time to, to get them in here. Adults, i want to talk to you all for a minute. If you can sacrifice, I know it's hard. If you can sacrifice a week, come on in and be a part of this this week, if you can do it. Um, I know everybody can't. But if you can make the sacrifice, there will be people that will bring their kids this week that don't normally come to church and they'll be sitting in these pews waiting in the adult class and then if it's like last year, we'll look around and go, okay, we got adults here from everywhere else but there's nobody here from the church. <laughs> Hard to be an outreach in a church when the church don't show up for church, right? So again, that's not a guilt trip. I understand there are, there are a million different reasons why you may not be able to be here. But if you can make the sacrifice, make the sacrifice, um, make the sacrifice, come be a part of it and, um, and help this outreach to accomplish the purpose that, that God means for it to, to do. All right. We're going to close in a word of prayer this morning. And uh, Vance, if you would come up here. Kirby, if you would come up here too. You just stand up here, and I'm going to have them just pray over Ms. Doris. <clears throat> I'm going to ask Mr. Vance Chapman to close us in prayer this morning. Remember Mr. Doyle Smith, Mr. Eddie's father, and then just remember the unspoken, the, the one that came up here that uh, pray for the other person. Thank you all.